Amen. You can be seated. Please turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Our text this morning, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. As we continue our series, this two-month summer series, kind of a theology of the church. What does it mean to be a faithful church? Will lead us through the end of July, and then in the month of August, in the first Sunday of September, our bivocational and lay elders will be leading us in the ministry of the word preaching. Uh, So you'll want to be here for that. But this morning, our topic is the office of deacon, as we continue to consider what does it mean to be a faithful church, a biblical church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8, the Holy Spirit says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Your word is the truth. And so we ask now, Father, that you would sanctify us in the truth. We pray, our Father, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I had kind of a silly little joke to start the sermon this morning. I'm going to go a different way with this, though, and just say that um, we uh, love our deacons here at Christ Community Church. We need our deacons here at Christ Community Church. As we continue this series and think about deacons um, and why they are a non-negotiable element of the church, why it's important, why it's imperative for the office of deacon to exist in the church, we have thought so far about the preaching of the word, the sacraments, church membership, and elder rule. Last week, Pastor Kevin preached on elder rule, and so this morning we think about the other office in the New Testament local church, which is the office of deacon. In order to help us think this morning about why the office of deacon is so essential for the local church, we're going to ask the five most basic questions that you can ask really about any topic, and we're going to apply that to deacons in the local church. 
And f those five questions are what, who, where, when, and why. W what, what is a deacon ministry, the office of deacon? Who, who are the deacons? Where, where do deacons serve? When, and why? So let's start with the first question, what? What is the office of deacon? The title deacon is actually a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos, which means servant or minister. So when we're saying the term deacon, we're just taking the Greek word that means servant or minister, and we're anglicizing it, basically. We're transliterating it. That's what deacon means. Theologically, in the New Testament, the title of deacon speaks to one who serves God by serving others, especially those within the church. As was mentioned, biblically speaking, there are only two offices in the church given and sanctioned by the Bible, elder and deacon. The Bible speaks nothing of senior pastors, lead pastors, associate pastors, youth pastors, music pastors, treasurers, superintendents, moderators, committees. All of these ideas are foreign to the New Testament. In the New Testament church, there are two offices, elder and deacon. The office of deacon exists to lead the church in serving. Deacons are those who lead us in serving. The elders, of course, as we saw last week, lead in preaching and teaching. The elders lead in doctrine and discipline, but the deacons lead us in serving. And it is in Acts chapter 6, feel free to turn there if you want, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, that we see the origin of the office of the deacon. The first time that the New Testament church, that the New Covenant community uh, embraces this office of deacon. Listen along as I read Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, Hellenist just means non-Jewish, uh, they, were, they were the Gentiles, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews, Israel, because the widows, so the non-Jewish widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what we see in Acts chapter 6 is that in Jerusalem, this is uh, post 
ascension, Jesus has already ascended to heaven post-Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has descended on the apostles, and now we see the book of Acts that the gospel begins to spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? That's what the book of Acts is all about. So near the beginning of the book of Acts here in chapter 6, the Greek widows, the Gentile widows, are being ignored as the church community, even from the very beginning, is caring for the least of these. These Gentile widows are uh, being neglected. No one is tending their needs. And so the apostles, who, again, as the church is starting here, before we have local churches established all over the globe, the apostles are functioning as elders in the earliest day of the, the new covenant. And they were right when they said that the most important thing that the apostles had to do was to shepherd God, God's people by giving themselves to the preaching of the word and to prayer. The apostles were not wrong about that. Those are the most important things. The preaching of the word of God, the sacraments, shepherding God's people uh, spiritually. This is where the souls hang between heaven and hell. And so the apostles are right. This is the most important thing, and they must give themselves to that. But the physical needs of God's people, especially in the first century, where, where women in general and widows specifically would have been viewed as less than human, they, were viewed, they certainly were the least of these, widows and orphans especially, they needed to be taken care of. Those needs had to be met as well. And so in God's timing, the office of deacon is established in Acts chapter 6. And from the very beginning, from Acts chapter 6 on, the office of deacon is and always has been about serving the church. Deacons are those who serve, who give mercy, who help, who show hospitality. That's what the, the duty of the deacon is. Some churches in the past, especially uh, low churches, uh, uh, non-reformed Baptist churches, have confused the office of deacon with the office of elder. Deacons are not given the authority uh, of oversight that elders are given. They are two separate offices. Deacons are not called to lead in doctrine or discipline. Deacons are called to lead in serving. Deacons lead the effort in meeting the physical needs of the congregation. And in modern Christianity, really this is kind of divided into two spheres in terms of the deacons serving the church. Because in modern Christianity, most, not all, but, but a lot of churches uh, own their own property, right, as we do. It's a blessing by God. But part of owning our own property as a church is we have to take care of our property as a church, right? And so deacons lead, in part at least, uh, in, in caring for the property. But the most important thing they do is in serving and caring for the people. The elders, of course, give directional oversight and will be involved in different efforts when it comes to uh, like meeting the physical needs of the property. But the needs of the building and the needs of the property are 1,000 times less important than the needs of the people inside. Serving the people is the primary function 
of the deacon. Deacons take the lead in serving the members of the church. And we can kind of triage this into like three levels of deacon service, right? So we, we kind of got the two spheres. Don't worry, this, none of this will be on the final. You don't have to worry about it. But you have the, the property and the people, right? And the people are infinitely more important than the property. So when we think about the people, then there's kind of like three tiers in terms of if we want to kind of like triage uh, deacon ministry. The, the, the first, the most important thing that deacons do in terms of serving people, caring for people, starts with orphans and widows. It starts with the least of these, especially widows who don't have children uh, to take care of them and look after them. Uh, it can be as simple as, as giving them a ride or helping them with a need around their home or their car. It certainly can and should be more relational, spending time uh, maybe even caregiving to some degree, but deacons must lead the church or lead the way in the church of meeting the needs of the least of these, of those who cannot help themselves. Widows and orphans, elderly care, abortion and adoption ministry, these are kind of the first tier. These are the first responders uh, in terms of deacon ministry, those who have no one else to help themselves. The second tier of deacon ministry, so we kind of take it down a level, is that deacons serve the church body just in general, right? All of the members of the church. Our deacons here at Christ Community Church uh, prepare and clean up the Eucharist every week for us. Um, Our deacons show up for people. Our deacons go to the funerals of family members, of church members that they've never met to just support those church members. Our deacons serve funeral meals when our church hosts funerals here. Our deacons teach children's ministry. They serve in music ministry. Deacons, they lead in serving the church. The third tier is the least urgent, and it really, honestly, this applies to all Christians, uh, but deacons especially, right, because deacons are in an office of service, and that is that that we serve our neighbors outside of the church. But again, this applies to all believers, doesn't it? All Christians are called to love and serve their neighbors to the best of our abilities. And deacons should lead the way for us in this as well. The deacons model faithful service to us as they lead us in serving the church, and we take that example to the world. All Christians follow the pattern of Christ which is a pattern of self-sacrificial servant leadership. And deacons lead us in that example. So that was the first question. We've answered the first question, what? What is a deacon? A deacon is an office in the church that leads the church in serving. The second question now we must ask is who? Who are called to be deacons? And our answer comes in the text that we read at the beginning of the sermon from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Well, we need to make a few comments. We're not going to like deep dive every word of this pericope this morning, uh, but just a couple comments as this follows the passage that Pastor Kevin preached last week about the qualifications for elders or overseers. Immediately now Paul uh, gives us the qualifications for deacons. Notice first in verse 8, so I'm in 1 Timothy 3, 8, you know, if you, if you want to look or if you've been flipping around or anything. 
Notice first that verse, verse 8 says, deacons likewise. That word likewise there. And again, this is immediately following verses 1 through 7. Pastor Kevin preached last week the qualifications for elders. And it's important for us to remember from his sermon last week that as you look at the qualifications for elders, besides the ability to teach, right, that's a unique gifting that God gives. So you have the ability to teach and the restriction against recent converts. So Paul says, They can't have just become a Christian not that long ago. They should not be an elder if that's the case. And they have to be able to teach. Besides those two things, all of the qualifications for the elder, for the overseer, the pastor, relate not to skill but to character, right? It's about who he is as a man. And now the Bible says in verse 8, deacons likewise in the same way. Deacons must display godly character just like the elders were called to display godly character. Likewise, unlike elders, deacons are not required to possess the gift of teaching, but verse 9 tells us that deacons are required to believe and understand the gospel. Right? Verse 9 says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So deacons are not mandated to teach like elders are. Of course, that doesn't mean, on the flip side, that deacons are forbidden to teach. Um, this is certainly not the case. We have deacons here at Christ Community Church who do teach. But the ability to teach is not mandated for deacons the way it is for elders. But it is mandated that deacons do genuinely believe the gospel. Along with meeting the moral qualifications for deacon. Every deacon must also affirm and not deny the basic tenets of Orthodox Christianity. So think about what we confessed earlier in the Apostles' Creed. That is the oldest summary of Christian Orthodoxy in the history of the church. If somebody refuses to affirm the Apostles' Creed or in any way denies the Apostles' Creed, that summary of Christian Orthodoxy, they are unqualified to serve as a deacon. A deacon must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must genuinely believe the basic tenets of Orthodox Christianity. Now, another difference between the deacon and elder, so one difference is elders must have the gift of teaching. Deacons do not need the gift of teaching. Another difference between elders and deacons is that the office of elder, pastor, overseer, is restricted to men. The office of deacon has always included both men and women. Notice in verse 11, the ESV says, their wives likewise. Again, that word likewise, we saw it in verse 8. It's the same word in verse 11 that's used. Hos autos. Likewise. So in the same way that he uses that word to say, in the same way that the elders, you know, have to have good character, so the deacons do. Now he's doing the same thing in verse 11. In the same way that I was just talking about these deacons, likewise, these others must do this. So the Holy Spirit's telling us, just like verse 8 is connected to verses 1 through 7, verse 11 is connected to verses 8 through 10 in the same way. 
Am I explaining that clear enough or is it too convoluted? That likewise is a marker to let you know these are similar. I'm saying these are in the same manner, in the same way. Now, the ESV is my favorite translation of Scripture, but in the ESV, 1 Timothy 3.11 is a bad translation. The word that the ESV translates as wives is the Greek word gunekas, which can either mean wife specifically or it can mean women more generally. And there are a couple of reasons why it is unlikely that when Paul writes the word gunekas here that he means wives. He does not mean wives. He does not mean wives of deacons. He means women deacons. And these are the reasons why. First, again, is that the recapitulation of the word likewise. So just as Paul uses likewise to contrast deacons with elders, he's doing the same thing here in verse 11 to compare and contrast male deacons with female deacons. Secondly, Paul does not give us any qualifications for elders' wives in verses 1 through 7. So it logically follows that the qualifications in verse 11 are not for the wives of deacons, but for women deacons. Elders have a higher responsibility in the church and de- uh, than deacons, so it does not make sense that there would be qualifications for the wife of a deacon and not qualifications for the wife of an elder. It more logically follows that Paul... Is, is using gunekas to mean woman and not wife, and he doesn't use it in verses 1 through 7 because gunekas, because women are unqualified to be elders, but women are qualified to be deacons. And so these are not the wives of deacons, but women deacons. Romans, 1, or Romans 16, verse 1 Paul says, I recommend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Sencre. Of course, many translations, the ESV included, translate that verse as servant. I recommend our sister Phoebe, who is a servant in the church. But it's the same Greek word. It's, it's diakonos. The word that describes Phoebe in Romans 16, 1, is the same word in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, diaconate. So Phoebe's a deacon, right? And that's, that's first century. The office of deacon has always been available to both men and women. There are churches that wrongfully don't believe that. And obviously, even the ESV, like they're showing their cards by the way they translate it. But it's, it's beyond clear, and the early church indeed did practice that. So we've noted what the office of deacon is, right? It's one of two New Testament local church offices, elder and deacon, distinguished by leading the church and serving. We've also noted who the deacons are, men and women who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. So the next question we have to ask then is where? Where do the deacons serve? As we noted earlier, all Christians, deacons included, are called to love their neighbors as themselves, but deacons specifically fulfill their office when they serve in the church. So the answer to the question where is in the church, in the local church. We have already seen from Acts chapter 6 where the office of deacon was given by the apostles to serve the widows in the church. So they weren't, they weren't opening a food kitchen to serve widows who believed anything. 
at this point, right? They are serving the widows in the church. Uh, we looked at 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications of deacons are given. 1 Timothy, of course, is a pastoral letter. It's written by Paul to Timothy, who is a pastor of a local church, saying this is about life in the church. We can also acknowledge uh, another letter that Paul wrote, uh, the letter to the Philippians, Philippians 1, 1, or 1, 1 through 2. Listen to this. Paul starts Philippians. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, pastor, elder, and deacons. Paul mentions the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as the Holy Spirit inspired St. Paul to write Philippians, the epistle to the Philippians, which would be canonized in the eternal word of God, Paul addresses the church in Philippi in general, and then specifically the overseers, the pastors, the elders, all the same synonymous terms, and he addresses the deacons. The deacons are being addressed as part of church leadership in the letter that Paul writes to the Philippian church. That's because the office of deacon is indeed a sacred office. It's a sacred office in the local church and has been for 2,000 plus years. God values the office of deacon, and so we should rightly value it as well. We should not despise the office of deacon. Sometimes we despise the office of deacon by making it something that it's not meant to be. Deacons are not meant to be elders. These are two different offices. And so we despise the office of deacon when we treat our deacons like pseudo-elders. Because not only are they doing a job that, that they're not called to do or maybe even not qualified to do, and, and they're also neglecting the job they're supposed to be doing. Another way that we despise the office of deacon is by saying things like, Listen, I'm happy to serve, but I don't really care about the title. You can just keep the title of deacon. And more than one of you have said that to me before. If you don't want to be a deacon, that's cool. Like, just say so. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we don't want deacons who don't want to be deacons. But don't despise the office that God created for his bride. God created, ordained the office of deacon for the local church it is a valuable office. It is to be honored and esteemed. And the, the office of deacon is valuable pr precisely because the deacon, they serve the bride of Christ. Jesus is the king of, the, of creation and the church is his queen. The church is his bride and deacons serve Christ's bride. Deacons lead in caring for the body of Christ. The church is called the body of Christ. Deacons are stewards of the temple of the Holy Spirit. If a church does not have deacons, or if a church does not rightly esteem deacons, or if a church has deacons that are leading, that are not leading the church in serving, then we do not have a healthy biblical situation on our hands. But that's not the case here at Christ Community Church. We are so thankful, blessed by the deacons that God has given us who lead Christ Community Church in serving. So we've answered the questions of what, 
who, and where. Now we ask when. When is the office of deacon necessary? And this one's easy. The answer is until the Lord Jesus returns. That's how long deacons serve. From the inauguration of the office of deacon in Acts chapter 6 until Jesus Christ returns to raise the dead, judge the world, and make all things new, the office of deacon is essential to the local church. So far in this sermon, we have looked at four different passages about the office of deacon, right? Acts 6, 1 through 7, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, Romans 16, 1, and Philippians 1, 1 and 2. As we think through those passages, and of course there are others, those are the ones we've looked at, there is an important hermeneutical principle that we must remind ourselves of as we're thinking about how to apply the scriptures, specifically about deacons and then generally really about anything else. And the hermeneutical principle is this. The Holy Spirit inspired all of scripture from Genesis 1 Through Revelation 22, the Holy Spirit inspired all of Scripture to apply to all of the church in all of the generations. That means there is no passage in the Bible that is only applied to people in the past that does not apply to people now. There is no passage in the Bible that will only apply to people in the future but does not apply to people right now. Every pericope in Holy Scripture applies to all of God's people in every generation. So, as we apply that now to deacon ministry, as we think about both the descriptive and prescriptive passages pertaining to deacons in the New Testament, they apply to every generation of believers until the Lord Jesus returns. That means, at the very least, in part, Christ Community Church we always should be training the next generation of deacons. We should raise little boys and little girls to see the office of deacon as valuable and respectable. And we should encourage our children to aspire to the office of deacon. If you're in your 30s, if you're in your 20s, or if you're a teenager, let me encourage you now. Aspiring to the office of deacon glorifies God. Now, maybe God won't call you to the office. That's okay. But the character and the service that mark the office and the lives of deacons are commendable. And there are few honors in the world as high as serving as a deacon in a local church. Now, the final question we must ask is why, right? What's the point? Why did God establish the office of deacon in the local church? So far, we've seen some of the results or some of the benefits of the office of deacon, the care for widows and orphans, leading the church in serving. But these are merely the results of deacon ministry. They are not the reason for deacon ministry. The reason why the office of deacon is so important, so essential, is found in passages like what Pastor Andrew read for our call to worship in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Isaiah 52 and 53 point us forward, at the time Isaiah writes, to Yahweh's suffering servant. 
This suffering servant will be crushed for our transgressions. This is indeed a universal truth. There is one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this one true God created all of humanity, male and female, in his image. And in Adam, all of humanity sinned against God. And because of Adam's sin, we are all born with a sin nature. Every single one of us, we sin in thought, word, and deed. Every single one of us, we sin by what we do and by what we leave undone. Every single one of us, we do not love God with our whole heart, and we do not love our neighbors as ourselves. Pastor Bobby read from 1 John 1.8 in the Confession and Pardon. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. These are the transgressions that Isaiah is speaking of, our sin. But Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant would be fulfilled. Galatians tells us when the time was right, when the time was right, the eternal second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, would be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth, and he would live a truly human life. Hebrews 4.15 says, yet without sin. Second Peter 1.1 says, it is by his righteousness that we are saved, because on the cross, Jesus offered up his righteous life, his sinless life, his law-abiding life life to God and Jesus passively bore the wrath of God against our sin as he suffered and died on the cross. And after he died, Jesus was buried. Do you know why he was buried, church? Because he was dead. Because the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus paid the wages of our sin and he died. And he was buried. But three days later, he was risen indeed. Jesus resurrected from the dead, fully defeating sin and death, inaugurating his new kingdom. And the good news of the gospel is that everyone no matter who they are, where they come from, what sin they are mired in, no matter what they've believed, what they've said, thought, or done, if they will repent and believe, the Bible says you will be saved. If you will confess your sin and trust in Jesus alone, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the hope of eternal life. To repent of your sin means to confess that you are a sinner. It's what we did earlier in the confession and pardon. It is to acknowledge that, that you're a sinner, that you missed the mark. It's to agree with God that you have broken his law, that you have missed the mark of his holiness. And then the result of that is that you turn from your sin to Christ. To believe in Jesus, to have Faith in Jesus entails three facets. We mention them often here because we really want you to understand. We're trying to be clear even more than we're trying to be creative. Knowledge, assent, and trust. 
Faith, that's what faith is. You say, I have faith in Jesus. What does faith mean? Faith means you have knowledge of Jesus, that you assent, that that knowledge is true, and that you trust in that message, in that gospel. Knowledge of the gospel means that you know who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And if you have been listening to this sermon at all, you have all the knowledge you need. I've not given you all of the knowledge there is, but I've given you all the knowledge you need. God is your holy creator. You have sinned against him. Jesus lived sinlessly in your place, died as a substitute in your place, and rose again. And if you trust in him, your sins will be forgiven and you will live forever. That's what you need to know. That's what we call the gospel. But knowledge of that, like being able to recite that or even understanding that is not enough. You must also assent to the validity of that message. You have to believe it's true. To assent means that you don't just receive the knowledge of the gospel with indifference, but that you actually believe what the gospel says about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And the third facet of faith is trust. You assent to the knowledge of the gospel and then you transfer your trust to Jesus Christ alone. You rest the full weight of your righteousness and your resurrection on who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That's the gospel. And church, that gospel is the reason why the office of deacon is so essential because the office of deacon is grounded in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the suffering servant. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. Romans 15, 8 says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs that in order that that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Paul says, Christ became a servant. You can guess what word that is in Greek. Diakonos, deacon. The text literally leads, reads, for I tell you that Christ became a deacon. He became a servant. Lego gar Christon diakonon. For I say, Christ became a deacon. Jesus' self-identification, his self-identification of his incarnation and his mission was that of self-sacrificial servant leadership. Church, Jesus is the true and better deacon. Jesus is the eternal deacon. The office of deacon derives from the very character of Jesus Christ himself. Deacons are essential because the office of deacon correctly institutionalizes one of Christ's most intrinsic characteristics, serving the church. As we prepare now to dine with the Lord Jesus at Holy Communion, I want to do something real quick. And I know some of them, oh, Kev is in here. For some reason, I thought Kev wasn't in here. If, you, if you're a deacon... If you're serving as a deacon right now, can you stand up? Just real quick. I, I won't make you do anything silly. Just stand up so everyone can see you. If you're a deacon. Okay. See, deacons, we, we, there, there might be... Yeah, go ahead. 
Kevin Osborne currently leads our deacons. We may have some that are, that are gone or serving somewhere else, but look around, church. These are many of our deacons, and they are, in fact, a gift. You guys can sit down now. Thank you. They are a gift. Uh, and so we would just want to say as a church, again, Pastor Bobby just led us in that round of applause, but to thank you. Thank you to Jesus. Thank you to the deacons for their service to Christ and for Christ Community Church and to the rest of the congregation whether you're young, man, if you, even if you're a kid or a teenager or you're in your 20s or 30s or even if you're older, let me encourage you as you see these brothers and sisters that lead us in service, you should aspire to this. Aspire to the character and service of a deacon. Follow them as they follow Jesus, who is the true and better deacon of our souls. Let's pray.